Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. My name is Steve Anthony. I'm a special agent in charge of the Cleveland FBI. Just like to echo what Vicki said and thank all the partners for being here today and of course recognize those that were not able to make this on short notice. The reason the Joint Terrorism Task Force works is because all the people to my left and right. We are forever grateful. We're here today to announce the arrest of Demetrius Nathaniel Pitts, also known as Abdur Rahim Rafiq. Pitts has been charged in a federal complaint with attempting to provide material support to a foreign terrorist organization. Pitts was, Pitts was placed into custody yesterday, Sunday, July 1st at approximately 10 a.m. by the Joint Terrorism Task Force agents and task force officers. The criminal complaint sets forth in detail the facts and circumstances of the investigation and also the attempted material support charge. Welcome to Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. That was an announcement from the FBI and law enforcement in Cleveland about a possible foiled terror attack scheduled for the 4th of July. And we have to be so just grateful to God that that actually happened, that they were able to foil that attack and that they were able to do what absolutely has to be done in this case, which is what we expect from the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, call lines are open at 866-963-2037. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's great to be with you. Uh, happy Monday to you. And we're going into the holiday. We have a lot to be thankful for, Fourth of July, and so much more. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, it's Second Amendment Day on Stacey on the Right. We're going to talk about a lot of Second Amendment issues. And we're also going to cover the hot button news of the day, um, specifically Jennifer Rubin, putting out another clarion call, this time from the so-called mouth of a conservative. Who here thinks uh, Jennifer Rubin is still a conservative? Like, if you still think that, oh my goodness, I have some swamp land to sell you um, in my backyard. So we also are going to speak with Mark Walters. He's the host of Armed American Radio's Monster Show on Sunday nights and another program Monday through Fridays. Good friend of mine, Second Amendment world advocate. And he's going to come on and talk to us about the Supreme Court pick and what that means for gun freedom in America. And I know with liberals, they always say gun freedom. We have all the gun freedom we need. We need gun control. We do need gun control. We need Americans to have good control over the firearms they're allowed to own and operate under the Second Amendment. That's the only gun control we need. So uh, we, we're going to talk to him first hour. Second hour, we're going to speak to another Mark, Mark W. Smith. He's going to join the show to talk about the Second Amendment as well. He has a new book out, so we're going to be really excited to share about that. So right now... I want to pivot back over to this rhetoric. And we saw this shooting last week by this individual who had a bone to pick with the newspaper there in Annapolis, Maryland. And so this was hardly something that can be attributed to rhetoric by President Trump. Uh, and I've, I've had a couple of inquiries. What do I think about the president's language towards reporters? I understand he's fighting fire with fire and he's hitting back against a media that was up until he became the nominee for the presidency really very supportive of him. And so it was kind of a shock to him to realize that none of that was real, that they only liked him when he was on television because he wasn't a politician. And when he became a politician, they only liked him because they thought he would be the easiest one for Hillary to beat. And when he beat her, then they, they realized, oh my goodness, what have we done? We really have hated him all along and now we have to show him. And his reaction to that has been to fight fire with fire. Now, I, I do believe that we're supposed to 
you know, adequately defend ourselves, especially from lies and, and, and all of that. But what's ended up happening is the rhetoric at the rallies and the things that have been said by the president are easily misconstrued to mean that he wants violence to be done to, uh, you know, reporters. And so in light of that, I wish that the president would use a little bit more of a measured tone at the rallies. We, we get the, the fake news that has been very effectively turned around to be a language that favors the president. But when he has the reporters, the, the, the members of the crowd turn around and kind of boo the press. It can be disconcerting. And I actually was here in St. Louis, actually St. Charles, when the president spoke here at an event. And there were a few hundred people in the room. The media was at the back, which is a standard procedure. So they're the furthest away from the president, but they have a cordoned off area where they can set up their cameras. And then with powerful cameras like they bring, they bring the, the real studio cameras with them. Then they can zoom in and they can get the, the shot that they want of everyone who's on the stage. It also enables them to include the crowd in the shot or not include the crowd in the shot because the the elevated platform is about two and a half feet off the ground. And so when I was standing back there, I was actually still on the, the carpet and they were on an elevated platform behind me. And it was all of the big names, CNN, NBC, CBS, the local affiliates, as well as the nationals. They had people from from everywhere. And then, of course, tables set aside that were labeled that regular press or media because I had a press credential to attend. I couldn't be in that area either because that was for the traveling White House press corps who were ushered in and, and seated just before the president took the stage. And so this is my first time attending an event like this where the president was there as press. I've attended other events in St. Louis where the president has spoken to the group, but I'm usually in the crowd. This time being back with them when he said, and of course we have the fake news here, we have the media here, look at them. And this is a crowded room. And I'd say I knew maybe 70% of the people in that room. So out of the hundreds of people, it's in St. Louis. This is where we live. Most of the people there, uh, a few had traveled in from Jeff City and Columbia, but the majority of the people who were in the room are St. Louisans, people from St. Charles, people from Jefferson County. So I recognized a lot of people. And when they turned around, there was just some low booing. There wasn't any name calling. No one you know, looked aggressive. But when they turned around and booed, it was the first time I ever experienced that, the only time I've ever experienced it, where I was lumped in with the fake news media. And one of my friends kind of pointed at me from the crowd and she smiled and I smiled back. And then I looked up at the, the, the raised area just behind me and all of the reporters up there, their faces were understandably upset. And so I get, first of all, it's a very effective tactic by any public figure that when a group of people marginalizes you, lies about you, and tries to demonize you, that you turn that same tactic back on them. The only problem with that with the media is as many people in the media who are the main tips of the spear who are regularly demonizing President Trump and lying about him, you know, in that particular instance, it wasn't just me, Jamie Allman, local radio host, um, Tim Jones, former speaker of the Missouri House. Everyone who had a media credential, anyone who was local media who was a conservative, we were also lumped in with those people who were getting called fake news. And so I could tell that they were visibly upset by being singled out and called fake news. I wasn't upset because I assumed the president wasn't talking about conservative media because I've never lied about him or, or, you know, tried to impugn his character. But it was still a very interesting moment. And so I understand what the president's doing. I think he's done a really effective job. But I also understand pivot points. And sometimes you have an opportunity when you've done something well 
to pivot onto the next thing, to move on to the next thing. Kind of like comedians don't use the same jokes forever. They eventually move on to the next, uh, you know, round of new content. And I feel like marketing wise, the president has effectively shown the American people just who spends the majority of their time advocating for the Democrats and who is arrayed against him in his fight to bring things back to normalcy here in this country. And it would be a great time for him to pivot away from kind of, you know, directing the people at his rallies and crowds to uh, kind of boo the media, not because some of them don't deserve it, not because it was wrong in and of itself, but because it's now being used as a tool to work against the president and it detracts from the messaging. And for me, that's the big deal here. The president is actually doing some amazing things that we're not really paying attention to because of the protests and because of the you know thwarted terror attacks, because of so many other news items that keep coming in. And, and make no mistake about it, these rhetorical flubs that we keep saying, why are they saying that you, sh- you shouldn't have a public space? I mean, th- put it this way. Uh, Loretta Lynch and um, Hillary Clinton should never be allowed to pump gas in public. They should never be allowed to walk in public without being made to feel terrible about their support of abortion. Now, Yes, that's radio silence you're hearing there for a second. Let that sink into you. Imagine how long a Republican would have left in public life if they said or tweeted out something like that. But that's what the Democrats are saying about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Kirsten Nielsen, uh, Pam Bondi, anyone who has anything to do with the Trump administration. It cannot be allowed to stand. It cannot be allowed to be the way that we deal with each other here in this country. And so we're in the third segment, I want to just... Preview, we're going to talk about Ocasio-Ortez and her beautiful backstory that she used to help propel herself into that uh, election where she unseated an entrenched Democrat who was heir apparent to Nancy Pelosi. We're going to talk about how she is actually bringing the things from her home country that drove her family out of their home country in South America to the United States and trying to force it on us. Can you believe that? Instead of being grateful to be an American, she wants to turn us into socialists too so we can fail like her home country did. So we're going to talk about that. But right now, you guys know Jennifer Rubin is a contributor over at MSNBC. She used to be a reliably conservative, I'd say like traditionally moderate establishment Republican, writer, pundit, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't agree with her 100% of the time, but she was someone who I could say, yeah, she's a Republican, kind of like a, a Colin Powell, but without the honorable military service. So she is on MSNBC and she's talking about Sarah Huckabee Sanders and she's just off the chain. Like, I don't know what happened to her. Did they inject her with some liberal juice in the back and she's not just gotten over it? There's no antidote. There's no cure, but she sounds unhinged. This is number seven. You have to do what is most effective. I don't think what's most effective is throwing Sarah Huckabee Sanders out of a restaurant. I wouldn't serve her either, frankly. But what's most successful is getting a million people on the street to protest. So let's redirect um, all of that good pent-up energy to something that makes a difference. Let's get a million people to go to Maine or a million people to go to Alaska and start putting pressure on those senators. So it's perfectly civil to do that. No one's telling them to be violent protesters. But we're not going to let these people go through life unscathed. Sarah Huckabee has no right to live a life of no fuss, no muss after lying to the press, after inciting against the press. These people should be made uncomfortable. And I think that's a life sentence, frankly. And, and very, very quickly, just to give you the last word on this, Eric, on the press part. Yeah. 
the, the Republicans know that the press won't do that. Yeah. They won't resist it at all. So the other voices you heard there, uh, it's Joanne Reed, who she's come through her scandal about, you know, having some more conservative views on her blog from decades ago and having that information exposed. And she's still on the air. And this is the kind of content that she's putting forward. And not only should Joanne Reed be ashamed of this, but really, you have to address whether or not you would watch a show like this. And I, I don't watch MSNBC. I just, you know, find the clips online and listen to the entire clip. And then I bring you what's relevant here on the show. But I, I'm, I'm not guilty of watching MSNBC nor the Joanne Reed's program. And the reason I say that is because Joanne Reed was raised in church. She herself is descended from immigrants from, I believe, Nigeria. They came here and they've made a beautiful life here in this country. And Joanne Reed knows good and well that it's not biblical to call for people to be publicly humiliated or vilified for their political beliefs. I mean, if we're not doing that to communists and socialists, then we're certainly not going to do it to people who are working for the current duly elected administration uh, of the presidency. So it, look, Joanne Reed's married. She has children. I mean, she lives a regular life, too. Joanne Reed is not some single socialite who just happened to fall into a television role. She has an everyday life that she works where when she's not on television once a week, she's taking her kids to and from school. She's picking them up from different events. She's pumping gas. She's shopping for groceries. And these are the things that all of us do on a regular basis, just normal, everyday stuff. But with her, she, you know, she's using her platform to spread this message that Joanne Reed just, or that uh, Jennifer Rubin just shared that it's not okay for people that oppose her belief system to do that too. And so that has to be something that we all stand against in opposition. In fact, we should be praying not just for, uh, for this type of thing to be seen for what it is, for the scales to be ripped off of people's eyes so they can see this is wrong, but also that we would be praying for unity so we could go back to a place where you could bump into someone who is the parent of a kid who your kid's friends with and not worry about their political beliefs, not worry about whether or not they're going to gather a mob together against you, but instead just talk about whatever next thing you have together with your kids. Talk about the weather. Talk about your upcoming vacation or the one you just took. Talk about your promotion or whatever. There has to be some civility left in this country. We have to demand that. And we have to pray about it as well. So when we get back, we're going to have Mark Walters, host of Armed American Radio, right after these important messages. One of my favorite things to do in Israel is take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. We'll be taking our annual tour of Israel in March of 2019, but it's time to sign up. We have a lot of folks sign up early, and last year, in fact, we filled up several months in advance. So for all the information on this trip to Israel, a bucket list trip for most people, go to the website twholyland.com. That's twholyland.com. Or for a free brochure, call us at 800-FAMILIES. 800 F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option five, and leave us your name and your phone number. We'll be flying direct from the States to Tel Aviv and then begin our tour in Jerusalem of Israel. We hope you can join us. 
in 2019. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I know of a church that closed down because the people couldn't get along with each other. Actually, it boiled down to one family in the church. They wanted to control the church and they loved to fight. They found fault with everybody, sowing seeds of division and disunity with their negative comments. People started leaving. The resources dried up and the doors of the church closed. There are some people who are not happy unless they're in a fight. I've lived long enough to embrace this sad reality. Too many people view all of life through the lenses of winning and losing. I've got to be on top. I've got to be winning. If you are an opinionated person, be careful. Let the law of love temper your opinions. If you have to fight, fight for unity. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 have something very direct to say to us about contention and strife. Listen to these words. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. Wow, did you hear that statement? God says he hates one who spreads strife among brothers. God will not tolerate strife. He hates it, in fact. Jesus died to save our souls and to put us into his body, his church, that would demonstrate unity. Here's what I want you to remember today. God has called us to fight the fight of faith against the devil and not to destroy the unity of the body. This way, we can be true winners. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program, everybody. StacyOnTheRight.com and at StacyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. Those are great channels for you to tune into when we're not live on the air. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest, who is a good friend of mine. He's my conference buddy. Whenever I see him out and about in the world, we hang out on his radio show. And so it's a pleasure to welcome him to our program for the first time. Mark Walters, host of Armed American Radio, Monster Broadcast on Sundays, and then his daily program um, on Salem Radio. Thanks so much for coming on today, Mark. Stacy, how the heck are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm, I've got on my patriotic dress today because, you know, it's the week of the 4th <laughs> and I'm so excited. And I'm also excited to talk oh, to you about this you, great new thing, the SCOTUS picks and the Second Amendment. Oh, boy. Where, where do you want to start on this thing? I mean, there's so much to talk about and the left is going so crazy. How, how, where do you want to go from here? Well, OK, so that's the point. They're going crazy and they're saying it's about Roe v. Wade, but they've spent the majority of the past 500 and some odd days that the president has been in office really railing against gun control or against the Second Amendment. They've been advocating for gun control. And so while they may be saying that it's Roe v. Wade that's in danger if he appoints yet another conservative pick from that list, really, I think it's that they don't think they're going to be able to get the gun control enacted. If you I don't know if you've seen the piece yet, but. Let's 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 go back to the Heller decision in in uh, in 2008, if we could, for just a second, okay? Sure, you know, Kennedy's always been seen as what the swing vote, right? Mm-hmm. And the left is going crazy right now because they think two big issues that yeah, they they think he's a traitor. I'll go there in just a second for retiring and resigning when he did. 
But if you go back and you look at Heller, I, he asked the question, was Kennedy a swing vote? Kennedy wasn't a swing vote at the time. He voted his conscience on the Second Amendment. I don't think there was a swing vote at that time during the court. The makeup of the court during Heller is different than what it is today. But you look at the swing vote that we consider as conservatives that Kennedy is today. He swung far left on abortion. He swung far left on gay rights, etc. Well, the left now thinks that Kennedy's legacy is going to be the destruction of his own legacy. Think about that. But he was the always Trump a Republican. Syndrome is so bad right now. It is. That they it's, believe it's his own them. legacy is going to be the destruction of his own legacy. So it's it's fascinating watching the left melt down right now. Well, it's fascinating, but it it's these are so they look Mark like it's like kind of unhinged and it's out of control. But the left is really good at their messaging. That's one of the things they're very very good at. And when they realize one thing won't work, remember it was the Russia investigation that was supposed to eliminate Trump. Now that that's not working, they have a new problem, which was given to them by someone they thought was their friend because of the very cases that you just named off. They thought that Anthony Kennedy was kind of one of them. They knew he called himself a Republican, but in the end, they figured he'd hold off. He's not that old. He could hold off until the end of the Trump presidency or at least until they could get Trump impeached so that they could have a crack at replacing him with someone who was a liberal. But that's not going to happen. And Kennedy was a, a Republican. He is a Republican. And he really right. wanted to wait until a Republican was the president. So they're going to they're going to now frame this around abortion. But I believe, honestly, my gut tells me that it was the gun control that they hoped to enact, that they really that was their that's their true goal that, yeah, they want to keep abortion legal. But their real moneymaker is the gun control protests and these kids traveling around on the bus tour, all of that. And I agree with you 100%. And, you know, as you well know, Stacey, and we've discussed it many times, both on air and in private conversation, they have to do it under the radar, don't they? They can't let everybody see what their true goals are unless they expose their agenda. And if they do that, America pushes back because Americans, even Americans that might not like guns, don't like somebody telling them that they can't have guns should they choose to have guns down the road. And that has a lot to do with part of the meltdown here. And I think you're absolutely correct when it comes to Kennedy. There's that certainly that hidden agenda. Look, if you, if you don't think the agenda is hidden right now, take a look at Nancy Pelosi, take a look at Chuck Schumer, who are, even while the Parkland kids are out running around on a national tour and getting tons of leftist media attention on 24-hour cable news, Pelosi and Schumer are very well aware that there's a midterm coming up in November, and they're silent on the issue because both of them know that there's never been a national election ever won on a gun control platform or agenda. If, if I'm wrong, and you can correct me on that, let me know. But I've yet been able to find it. So when it comes to the Second Amendment and Kennedy and the meltdown that we're seeing from the left right now, while you're right, the media is framing it now, and it, intentionally so, as the abortion issue, no question, the Second Amendment, I believe, was truly their underlying root cause because they know that now... Trump is going to be able to cement a solid 5-4 majority with no more swing nonsense. And guess what's really going to drive him crazy? He's going to get another pick, too. <laughs> I know. And that's, that's the other thing. And thank you for bringing that up, Mark. So we're talking about there's an unhinged nature to their upset right now because they weren't expecting this, which I'm kind of surprised because the rumors about Justice Kennedy retiring this year, I've seen at Nothing least... No joke, 10 emails about that, like 10 back channel emails from people who are in the know saying it's happening this year. His off, you know, staffers in his office have kind of let fly that he, you know, they, they feel like he's winding down. 
not because they're happy about it, but because it's just it's just discussion. It's what people discuss when someone is his age. But he's not the only one. Ruth Bader Ginsburg may want to wait until 2020 to retire, but it's not in the cards for her because she barely stays awake during the uh, the, the yearly State of the Unions. I mean, anytime she's in public, she's falling asleep and she's really elderly. And then there's also Clarence Thomas, who isn't as old as the other two, but he's married, he has children and grandchildren, and he's served right. on the court for a few decades now. So he could theoretically say, my legacy is complete. I'm moving on too. That, I mean, that, that's just unthinkable, unimaginable for the left to, to consider that Donald Trump, the one they hate more than they hate, like green beans and, uh, you know, flat tires. They hate him so much that he would be the one to fill those seats. Yeah, th- that's what's driving them absolutely crazy. And, and there's a couple of things I could really take away from what you just said, and I, and I hope we have enough time to go there. Let me go back to the court for just a second before I go mm-hmm. back to that unhinged left and sure. the direction that they're going now. But when, you, when we talk about this 5-4 majority, and you talk, and you talk about Ginsburg, What's happening here, the real dynamic in play is that the court, ha- this pick does not shift the court to a 6-3 majority. It shifts the court to a more solid 5-4 on issues like guns, because Kennedy already voted in favor of Heller. So we have an idea where he would go, but we don't have any idea where he would go on any subsequent cases, referencing, for example, assault weapons ban, yep. which, as you know, the court has refused to take any Second Amendment case of any substance That's over right. the last 10 years since Heller. We would have loved to have seen them take the Peruta case mm-hmm. out in California. We would have loved to have seen them take the Wren case in Washington, D.C., were it not for the fact that we won that case. And that case was so solid of a win that liberal uh, governors and uh, senators around the country in states like Connecticut, New York, Illinois, and California begged Washington, D.C. not to push that that case and seek cert at the Supreme Court because they knew it was a loser. So mm-hmm. what does that tell us? That tells us that the gun controllers themselves know that their un- that their own gun control laws in their own gun co- in their own gun controlled states are built on a house of cards. They knew that that decision would be lost from Washington D.C. at SCOTUS. They knew SCOTUS would probably take it. Therefore, they begged them not to. The only way that these people can win on gun rights is by not having cases heard. Is and that's how they claim victory. All right. Now, back to the unhinged left. Oh, and one more thing, Ginsburg, by the way. I know she doesn't want to retire while Trump is in office, but I don't know that she's going to be able to make it through this term of his, plus his second term, and then Pence's two terms. I'm not sure she's going to be able, (laughs) so at some point she's going to have to go. Now, back to the unhinged left right now. I've never seen anything like this. This, this is going to be a bruising battle that's going to culminate in a victory for Trump in the fall. McConnell has already seen to that, regardless of what the Democrats say. Having said that, I'm not sure how much more the left is going to be able to take before they literally pop. We're already starting to see signs of violence from the left. We witnessed it in Portland this weekend. And I would love to get your opinion as a host myself and ask you on your own show how you think this is going to eventually play out. Stacey, it scares me. Well, I mean, I see a couple of different avenues that it could go in. Obviously, no crystal ball, but you ask, and I actually have thought about this. One thing that happens is we have a national emergency of some sort, some kind of terror attack, something horrible happens, and, you know, it's through whatever the avenue that it comes through, whether it's dereliction on the part of FBI or or some, you know, well-planned terror attack or terror plot, that at that point, the nation would coalesce and kind of turn our attention to that, that international problem and we would be unified in that way. But as we saw with 9-11, 
that doesn't last forever. And at some point, people break back off into their factions, but it would give us a cooling off period. The other thing that happens is the left really carries through with Michael Moore and Maxine Waters and, uh, you know, uh, Jennifer Rubin, all of their suggestions to put their bodies on the line. Even Loretta Lynch saying people had to die for civil rights at one point in this country. You should be willing to die, too. That kind of language tells me they're ready for armed revolution, insurrection. They want to do Venezuela here in America, which I don't think Americans on the whole are ready for. But the Antifa people are. They're already mixing it up. They were in a brawl this weekend with Trump supporters. They're 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 uh, they're they're primed and ready for that. If that happens, then you're going to see a lot of good, God fearing Democrats, kind hearted people who just happen to believe differently than you and I are going to really turn their backs on the Democrats. They're going to really feel like. You know, that kind of radical behavior belongs in third world countries, not America. And it's going to be devastating for the Democrats because they have not yet realized why they lost in 2016. And the third avenue is that we kind of limp along as we are now, where a lot of Americans are disgusted by this, but they can turn away from it. You can escape this. This just don't watch news. Just don't pay attention to news and you can get away from it. Um, And the president's doing really well in the economy. And so most people are out shopping and eating and saving and right. getting their vacations together and putting their kids in college. And so they can actually just say, you know what? Politics stinks right now. I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'm hoping that the first two don't happen. I don't want to see us devolving into some third world pit. I mean, this is America. Um, but it's just, it's weird. I mean, come on, Mark. When you look at New York and them electing an actual Democratic Socialist over a right. regular Democrat, the Democrats are actually in trouble. And I think Nancy Pelosi knows it and Chuck Schumer knows it. I don't think they know what to do about it, but they're, they have a real problem. They've kind of set up this path for themselves. They're now on it. And now that they're hurtling towards, you know, the train tracks run out and you go over the cliff. Now that they're getting close to that, they're like, wait, this isn't what we planned. Well, it kind of is. You dance with socialism, you get, you know, uh, Ocasia Ortez. That's what you get. Well, it's interesting to me. I talked to somebody who will go unnamed for the purposes of this conversation. I spoke with them yesterday about how that election result occurred in Queens, you know, over the last few days. Here you've got a 28-year-old, as you, as you say, a Democrat socialist, avowed Democrat socialist. And this individual happens to hail from Queens. And he said, you know, most people there were asleep at the wheel before they even realized what happened. He's actually gone as far as predicting a Republican victory because of the Democrat socialist win in the primary. Now, I don't know that that can happen in Queens, but it's been told to me that there are a lot of Trump Democrats in Queens who would support the candidate now that they know, the Republican candidate, now that we know that there's a socialist and avowed socialist on the ticket. So it remains to be seen. I would like to see that happen. Don't know that it will. I I enjoyed the conversation and, you know, philosophizing about it a little bit. But when you don't, when you have people like Dick Durbin, Dick Durbin yesterday seemingly supporting the destruction of an American law enforcement agency along our border that is doing God's work, as far as I'm concerned, relative to cleaning up the garbage. And when I say garbage, I'm talking criminal garbage in this country that is taking American lives in the form of illegal aliens, drunk driving, murders, whatever, robberies, MS-13. These people are putting their life on the line every single day. And you've now got Dick Durbin. And when Dick Durbin comes out and says something like that, that he agrees with that principle, which is what she ran on, that mainstreams. That radical idea, which mainstreams that agenda, which seemingly to me, Stacey, mainstreams socialism in the form of the Democrat Party. I don't know how they run away from this at this stage of the game anymore. Well, 
I mean, you said it. I embrace can't disagree it. with you. Embrace it and tell us you want to take our guns. Wouldn't you have more respect for that? Well, they yeah. have. They have had a few op-eds since, uh, you know, since the beginning of the year where people have said, you know what? Yeah, I've changed my mind. We do want to take your guns. I mean, they've, 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 they've morphed a lot on the Second Amendment. And, and a number of these issues, really, Mark, if you look at uh, the areas where they used to be so much more moderated in their conversation, whether it's abortion, safe, legal, and rare, they're no longer believing right. that. Second Amendment, we just want sensible gun control. Now they want confiscation of AR-15s and different types of magazines and the magical clips, the unicorn clips that they don't know what they are, but they know they need to take them all from us. Um, and, and other things like they've, they got their bump stop thing, which I mean, who cared about that? But they have other things that they want what, that have to do with the second amendment that they don't talk about a lot, because if we would allow them to get rid of AR-15s, then they would say, well, you know what? There's a bunch of other guns that behave just like AR-15s, but they just don't look scary and they're made of wood. We need those too. And then they would end up well, with let me, the handgun. Let me, let me interrupt you for just a second. Let's, that's a great point to ask this question to the listener. And I, I, listener, I want you to, to think about this for a second. Why has the shooting in, in uh, excuse me, Annapolis, Maryland, fallen off the radar? Okay. Why aren't they talking about it? Why, why don't you know any more about Santa Fe, Texas? Then you know about Parkland. Parkland was saturation coverage. Hell, it's still saturation coverage in, for the large for a large measure. The kids are still out touring the country. They got book deals after thirty years. Look, that kid didn't sit down and write a book. I've written two books, and you don't write a book in thirty days. No, not even close. Okay? You don't put together the marches they put together in thirty days without support from a ton of money and a ton of people who are inside and know how to put these things together. I worked with the individual that put together the Second Amendment march back in 2010. It took him a year and a half of his life to do it, to get the permits and everything else in place as an average Joe Blow. The fact of the matter is the, the shooting at Maryland and the shooting at Santa Fe, Texas, don't fit the narrative. Why? Because they weren't AR-15, Stacey. Mm-hmm. They were shotguns. Last night when I opened up my program, I opened it up with Joe Biden's words from a few years ago. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. You don't need an AR-15. Because, you see, if they, st- they can't come after the shotgun because they've been telling people they don't want to come after your shotgun. Yeah. So the media... Lies of omission, just ignores it, doesn't talk about it anymore, and it goes right back to what you were talking about, the original question, about what they want to do with the Second Amendment and Kennedy. And again, it's silence. Because they can't come out and tell you what they really want to do, lest they expose their own hypocrisy and their true agenda, which they know America will never ever go for it. These are devious, evil people. They know exactly what they're doing. And boy, I tell you, you've got to be smarter than them, and you've got to stay a step ahead of them. Which is what we do when we have you on the program. I'm hoping I can get you back more often. Thank you so much for your time today. It's Mark Walters, host of Armed American Radio and so many other fantastic things. Mark, I'll talk to you again shortly. Thank you, Stacey. All right. Have a great day. We'll be back with more right here on Stacey on the Right. Keep it here. people in the world we've all done or will do the following be birthed into this earth grow go to school maybe go to college get married have kids grow old and die doesn't sound too eventful when put in that perspective for many the thought of discipling someone is foreign from the mind and not even on the to-do list in matthew chapter 28 verse 19 jesus tells us to go ye therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit a disciple is more than a student 
student, he or she is a follower of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things in this world, but there's nothing like being a Christian. It's a life filled with adventures. Receiving an education, vacationing, marriage, having kids are good, but there's nothing like taking the time to nourish someone in God's word so that they can be a force to be reckoned with. That is priceless. With a heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Victory McIntosh. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Hi, my name's Mike. Marijuana was my obsession. And because of this, I watched my dreams shatter like glass. I would have given up if it had not been for Teen Challenge. They helped me get my life back on track again. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Netflix continues to ignore the outcry about 13 Reasons Why. The American Family Association, along with Parents Television Council and several other pro-family groups have reached out to the streaming service, urging the cancellation of their program. Netflix has not even responded to our letter. Instead, they released an even more vile Season 2 and are producing Season 3. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings says their program is engaging and that it fosters discussion of taboo topics like suicide and sexual assault. But at what cost? 14-year-old Anna Bright and several other teens have committed suicide after watching the show. Hastings calls our objections propaganda. Does he feel the profitability of his company is worth more than the lives damaged or lost because of his show? Please sign our petition to Netflix, learn more, and share our action alert when you visit afa.net. And pray Reed Hastings will recognize the dangers of 13 Reasons Why. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. So you have called for a number of things, one of them being to abolish ICE. And you recently traveled to the border to Torneo, Texas, to see the shelters, to see where some of these separated families are being held. What would you replace ICE with? And do we not need protection at the border? Well, we absolutely, we absolutely do need to make sure that our borders are secure, to make sure that people are safe in passage. But what we need to realize and remember is that ICE was established in 2003, right at the same time as the Patriot Act, the AUMF, the Iraq War. And we look back at a lot of that time and legislation as a, as a mistake now. And I think that ICE is right there as a part of it. It has um, extra, its extrajudicial nature is baked in to the structure of the agency, and that is why they're able to get away with black, uh, you know, with black sites at our border, with the separation of children. Um, we are we are committing human rights abuses on this border and separating children from their families, and uh, that you know is is the structure of the agency. We can replace it and we can replace it with a humane agency that is directed towards safe passage what do instead you of the black direction sites? of the criminal. So that was your, that's my introduction to you, to this, uh, this young woman, Ocasio-Ortez. She's, uh, 
she's in she, the, a child of immigrants. Her mother, she says, scrubbed toilets uh, her entire childhood to enable her to have the life where she could go to uh, Boston College. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that. But I have a couple things that I just I think we need to say right now. She's not the only person in America whose parents worked, you know, a, a working class job to enable her to take part in the American dream. Many, many, many families have that history, if not their parents and their grandparents or their great grandparents. That's why we all love America, because you can come here and scrub toilets and your child can go to Congress. Your child can be in a Hollywood movie. Your child can start a company that eventually ends up being the largest of its kind and international. You can come to this country yourself as an immigrant and have that same kind of result where you are elected to office or you start a company yourself. That's why people come here. What you shouldn't do is come to America and try to change it into a socialist country. But what is socialism? You're probably thinking, oh, I know what it is. Well, you know who doesn't know what socialism is? A bunch of Democrats. So let's roll back in time for a quick second and go back to Chris Matthews. A few years ago, he had some fun with some different candidates. Uh, It was Hillary Clinton and some others. He kept asking them, what is the difference between a dip- democratic socialist and a Democrat? What's, what's a socialist? Do we know? He was asking them that because Bernie Sanders was running on the Democratic ticket in the primary against Hillary Clinton as a Democratic socialist. And he found that so amusing that he decided to ask them about it. It's number four. What is the difference between a Democrat and a socialist? What's the difference between a socialist and a Democrat? What's the difference between a socialist and a Democrat? Well, you know, I... Oh, I... More socialist like Bernie Sanders. What's the difference between being a Democrat and being a Republican? Well, what's... You have to ask... Well, see, I'm asking you. It depends how you define each one, doesn't it? You're the chairman of the Democratic Party. Tell me the difference between you and a socialist. I wouldn't like somebody calling me a socialist. But I'm I'm not one. Well, you do it. Well, I'm not going to get into it. The the relevant debate that we'll be having is what's the difference between a Democrat and a Republican. I think there's a huge difference. I am a progressive Democrat. I'm a progressive Democrat. How's that different than a socialist? Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the chair of the Democratic Party, won't answer my question. Hillary Rodham, you guys are well-schooled. Would it be helpful to change the name of the Democratic Party to the Social Democratic Party? Would that help improve Uh, the definition for everybody? I think we're happy with our present name. (laughs) Whoa! Unbelievable. So do you hear what's happening there? He's asking party leadership if they know what socialism is. Because he's He's thinking to himself, as as many of us did at the time, why are the Democrats dancing with the devil? Why would they allow someone who is a socialist, who only caucuses with them, to run on their side for president? Why didn't they say, I'm sorry, but our party is for Democrats. So while we love you to caucus with us and we love you to vote with us and we love your progressivism, We will not allow you to run on the Democratic ticket because you are a socialist. Had they only made that one delineation, they wouldn't be in the position right now of having their heir apparent unseated by this 28-year-old woman who is literally trying to bring Venezuelan, you know, they're eating their zoo animals, they're eating cats and dogs, they have to pay for water now, the military has taken over their water supply Venezuela is a collapsed, failed state. They've lost almost a half a million of their citizens have moved out of the country to parts unknown, probably a bunch of them living here. And they're doing that because socialism has failed there. It hasn't just failed. Their entire country is literally a just a smoking dumpster fire. 
yet we have this woman and who's going to ask her? Like, I definitely will try to get her on the show, you guys. But who's going to ask her why she thinks socialism will work here when it hasn't worked in Venezuela or Mexico or any of those other South American countries? Why is she trying to put a fail system in place here in America where we've already got it going on and we don't need her help? Thank you. What is the reason that she would feel like coming to our good old red, white, and blue? Hey, we got problems. Hey, we have Detroit and other inner cities that look like third world countries. Sure, it's not perfect here. We have a lot of things in our past that you're, you know, you can look down your nose on us because we had slavery at one point. I'm descended from slaves. But guess what? We fought a war and shed blood over that issue and came out of it one nation still. And to this day, Americans are living side by side, working side by side and dying side by side to defend the Constitution of the United States. Blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians, immigrants, natural borns, you name it, all putting on their BDUs, their fatigues, their dress blues, their flight suits, their, you know, land taking apparatus, land and sea apparatus, all the different uniforms of our armed services. We have every single one of them integrated and full of people who love this country, regardless of their ethnic background. And so, you know, look down your nose all you want. But we're still doing what Americans have done since the founding, which is forming a more perfect union. And that statement in and of itself infers that the union is not perfect. And it never will be as long as there are people in it. But I I find it very insulting that this woman has immigrated to this country, taken advantage of our fantastic educational options as a child, gone to college, and now to reward us for allowing her into our good society, she wants to force socialism on Americans. I think it's the height of ignorance and of entitlement and of someone who, quite honestly, she doesn't want to dance with the one who brought her. She does not care about America the way the rest of us do. As flawed as it is, I don't want any other system of government because this is the experiment that even Chinese people who are in the aristocracy over there in their country, because they're communists, so the only people who really live well are those who are in the elite. Even their elites understand that the ultimate in uh, citizenship, the ultimate birth certificate to have is one with American citizenship. They come over here and they pay $50,000 to $70,000 to stay in a hotel. They come over when they're eight or nine months pregnant. They spend the last month of their pregnancy shopping and taking advantage of all the fun things in California. Then they go to a really posh private hospital and give birth so they can get a birth certificate for their child that gives them American citizenship because they were born on American soil. And then after the baby is old enough to fly, they fly back home to China and their child can come here and get an American education. Usually they bring them back so that they can do some, you know, get, get their, their higher education, college, so they can be educated in America's colleges. Now you tell me, I mean, are they doing that to get German citizenship? Are they doing that to get British citizenship? Nope. They want American citizenship. And look at all the different ways people are going about getting American citizenship by hook or by crook. And the people who can't get the citizenship just decide, you know what's good enough for me? Living in America, working in America. I'll just go there and live and work. And I'll just have my kids there and my kids will be American citizens. And their system of government is so bogged down and overwrought and slow moving that 
by the time they figure out I've been there illegally, I'll have been there for decades. My kids will be grownups. And if nothing else, my kids will be Americans. These are the kind of gambles that people are making, which is why you see the polls. Now there's more than one of people who've been asked whose fault is it that there's a big immigration separation thing going on at our border. And Americans are saying it's the, the fault of the parents. The parents are bringing these kids here because in their minds, even if they're separated and they don't get their kids back and they're deported, which that's not what's happening. The kids are going, they're being deported with their parents. But remember, only a couple thousand of them come in with parents or family members. The rest of the kids who are coming in unaccompanied, they're not deported because they're, they're coming in and they're getting dispersed around the country. So we don't have a mechanism for turning people around at the border. And so they're taking advantage of that. And the further into this issue we get and the more information comes out about how our government has literally been hamstringed, they have their hands tied behind their back, their mouths are taped shut, and they're supposed to do the job of protecting our border, the more information comes out about that, the more people will come here and try to get access to the country. They're going to come because they know they can't be turned away, they can't be sent off. And if the Democrats get their way and force the Trump administration into doing catch and release like the Obama administration did, we're going to see an explosion at the border that's going to be the equivalent of, you know, uh, basically an overrunning of the country. Why wouldn't you come here? If, you're, if your prospect is eating zoo animals or pets and paying for water or making a couple thousand mile trek and finally making it into America where you can get a job within 24 hours working in the garment district in New York or Almost anywhere in the country, you can get a job because you're willing to work for $5 an hour, no benefits. Why wouldn't you come here? And that's what we have to fix. So, you know, it's, it's going to take a lot. It's, gonna, it's going to take more than just, you know, obviously we did, we did our best. We elected Donald Trump, and he is really strong on this issue. And he's not given in to the whims of the Democrats and, and a lot of pro-illegal immigration Republicans in this area. And this is not me saying that Donald Trump is perfect or that he's like the best guy in the world, but he's the best guy for this job because anybody else would have already folded by now. The pressure is enormous. So as, as we're going into, and we have a show tomorrow, a live program for you, and we have great guests uh, planned for you. But as we're going into the 4th of July, and you know, you, if you're anything like us, you're buying fireworks and you're planning on having a really good time on the 4th, and I know we are here at our house. And that's why I have on my 4th of July uh, outfit, guys. I have on the little hat. See how it's almost like a bobblehead hat? And the little crazy Martian, uh, Martian, what are they called? They're, it's a headband. Got on my 4th of July headband, my red, white, and blue dress. And I'm loving it. I love celebrating the 4th of July, the independence from Great Britain and us self-governing ourselves. I love it. I absolutely love it. Me having a permanent tan doesn't prevent me from loving that. But we have some some systemic issues. And the root of it is that we don't know our history. We don't know about the founding of this country. We don't understand what it took to get us the Constitution that we have. And as long as we are a country, we're going to be changing and, you know, kind of saying, is this is this still viable? But a discussion about the viability of the Constitution Uh, different government agencies, all of that has to come from a place where you have a knowledge base of why we have the government that we have. And for people that don't have that knowledge base, they really can't be in the discussion. And I want to point out something else. And I just want to say thanks one more time to Mark Walters, host of Armed American Radio. Such a fantastic guy. Thanks for him coming on today. It was really great. 
I, I got to say, you know, he made the point about Antifa, and there's some video going around, I think, where some guy, uh, I guess he got just like, he's, he got straight up knocked out at a protest this weekend where Antifa members were confronting some people who actually had a permit to do a protest. And uh, the Antifa members showed up, and I've seen this before. We had a protest march here in St. Charles, and Antifa didn't have a permit, but they showed up in a group, and they, the police allowed them to stand across the street, and they yelled taunts and things at us, and we used our bullhorns and addressed them. But mainly, we weren't there for a counter-protest. We were there for just, it was basically a, a certain area of St. Charles that we were allowed to march around with our signs and everything for, for our actual protest that was permitted. And at that time, when Antifa showed up, they had a very tiny group. What was so interesting about it is that they were all really short, like they were short in stature, meaning they were all like between 5'4 and 5'8. The women were tiny. The guys were really short. And they all had on these like tan outfits, like, um, like those little socialist Raul Castro type getups. And then they also had masks over their faces. And it was... Um, they weren't masks, they were bandanas. They all had black bandanas or white bandanas wrapped around their faces. And so I asked, I was like, why are, why are we over here protesting? We have our faces out and you guys are covered up. And they said they were covered up because they didn't want to be harassed at work or to be fired or to have their homes and lives threatened by people like us. And I said, well, people like us don't threaten people's like use lives. Why would we? We don't care if you're living or where you work. We don't care about that. We we didn't even know you guys were coming. And they're like, yeah, but that's happened to us before. I'm like, well, by who? And they couldn't answer. They really want to keep their anonymity because it gives them kind of a, a it's like a license to then hit and be violent. All right. Hour two's up next. <laughs> keep it here and happy 4th of July. 